as an investor, we have to marry up that we have diminishing time to take action because other people are in the race as much as we are. And of course, we are racing other buyers, home buyers, investors, we're racing them to the best assets. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, yes, we're going to dig into the urban ecosphere. Yes, I have a model and I want to share it. Today, we're going to do some real estate training, a bit of work. It's like the real estate gym here. We're going to dig into how to navigate to the right location as to where to invest. We're going to drill down into understanding what drives places. We're going to have a look at some of the local attributes to consider, to drill down when we're starting at a macro level and getting to a micro level when it comes to being a property investor. Hey, welcome back, all you urban property investors. I hope you're well. And hey, if it's your first time tuning in, well, we played this show in double speed. Yes, we speed it up to get it done. But also, equally, all the past episodes I've done are lessons on real estate. So feel free to go back and check out an episode that may tickle your fancy. All right, folks. Well, uh, I'm living the dream, uh, powered by purpose, people, place, and planet. I thought I'd put my people, place, and planet t-shirt on today because we're going to talk about how to buy in a place. And of course, uh, a lot of investment is driven around plans and models. And certainly I've got over 30 different models which are evidence-based investment models to approach investing. It's taken me 30 years to create 30 different odd models. One day I'll do a show on every single model. We'll get to it. But today I wanted to go through my urban ecosphere model, which is really just a model to try and sort of drill down to finding the right place for you to invest your money. Obviously, investment goes a little bit further into the right street, the right house, the right style of dwelling, the uh, orientation of the backyard, all these kind of things. So there is more to it. But today I wanted to go through the macro, the micro, when it comes to going, okay, well, if we were to start the conversation, we need to invest in a place. So knowing we have to buy something somewhere, it's a easy conversation to go, all right, well, Australia has some larger places. It's got its bigger cities. And when I analyze our big cities, we have global cities being places like Sydney and Melbourne. We have new world cities being cities like Brisbane and Perth. We have uh, cities which are 
basically capital to their region, places like Canberra, Adelaide. And we also have those really powerful feeder cities, which are typically like an hour and a half away from a major city. So those feeder cities, if you like, tend to be regional, but very, very good regional places like Newcastle, Geelong, and the Gold Coast. Newcastle links to Sydney, Geelong links to Melbourne, and the Gold Coast or Sunshine Coast links to Brisbane. Of course, uh, this is a framework to go, okay, well, uh, in I want to invest in those places first because the odds of them going up and me missing out is very high. And of course, this has happened to a lot of people in the better parts of Sydney. The alpha Sydney suburbs today are very expensive to own real estate. And of course, uh, as an investor, we have to marry up that we have diminishing time to take action because other people are in the race as much as we are. And of course, we are racing other buyers, home buyers, investors, we're racing them to the best assets. And ultimately, real estate is a game of control. So I always sort of focus on, well, okay, there's sort of 10 major places you could possibly invest your money before you have to go to more volatile areas. More volatile places, you know, areas like, I don't know, Darwin. Um, they're just, just smaller. The overall weighted average of those marketplaces is a lot less. There's less industries, just ultimately a little bit more volatile, your Rockhamptons and so forth. Um, it's not to say you couldn't find a great local investment there, but ultimately, if we were to start at a macro level, as simple as it sounds, let's go big. And I've always invested with the rule of the biggest market will diminish. Uh, so owning real estate in prime locations in the biggest market, followed by the second, then third, then fourth, then fifth, then sixth biggest marketplace. And uh, it's been a really good rule for me and it's, and it's served me very well over the years. But inside our urban economic or ecosphere model, uh, obviously, we want those macro cities with pie economics. And of course, pie economics is a really simple version of economics. It's driven off the basis that we want a growing population, a growing level of infrastructure, and a growing level of basically the economy, so pie population, infrastructure, and economics. And of course, uh, the economics drills down into the different types of industries that can be found in a area. Now, we don't want one industry towns, and I've seen this happen many times over my tenure as a property investor. One industry towns become very volatile. If the industry shuts up shop, then all of a sudden your investment is very much connected to that economy. So typically your big economies, your Sydneys, your Melbournes, your Brisbane's, have robust industries, over 20 different industries on offer that have 
basically subsections beneath them. So again, if one industry is to become obsolete, if the robots take over, if uh, something gets outsourced overseas and an industry is basically shut down, there are effectively 19 other industries to pick up the slack. So from an investment perspective, this covers the basis of being quite safe and secure. And I always say, look, you know, it's your retirement we're talking about here. So where do you want your investments in your retirement? Do you want them in a volatile marketplace where jobs won't, uh, may not exist into the future? Or do you want them connected to basically where all the people are headed, where the government reinvests in infrastructure, where the lion's share of taxes are put back into infrastructure from the state and jobs are created, which forms an economy, pie economics. So knowing that we need pie, it's really simple. We choose a marketplace from the top 10 cities in Australia with good pie economics. Obviously, markets move at different rates. And of course, from a macro level, we can see that there are things driving the macro city marketplace. Different things drive Melbourne to Perth. Different things in Perth happen to Brisbane. It's not necessarily all linear. Every marketplace is affected a little bit differently. By way of example, uh, Melbourne is very much influenced by overseas migration. Brisbane is very much influenced by interstate migration. Uh, Perth is very much influenced by GDP, basically, if the state of Western Australia is performing better than the uh, rate of growth of Australia. And uh, all of these influences basically are happening at different speeds and different times. And so if we think about the urban ecosphere model to eventually drill down as to where to choose a place to invest. We've ticked macro city, the pie economics. From a momentum city, we can look into three alternative drivers. Firstly, it's supply versus demand. If uh, we see a good healthy level of demand versus supply of uh, activity, we know that the marketplace is going to do well, not just from a short-term perspective, but even from a medium-term perspective. And of course, we can also monitor another driver, which is the rental returns. Is the marketplace having a tight level of vacancy? And should we then consider that rents will rise in that city and of course, uh, demographics as well. What type of people are moving to a city? Is it driven off a structural shift? For example, today, uh, millennia, millennials, Gen Y, are upgrading their housing into from apartments to a house. Uh, does that ultimately mean there could be a good level of affordability in the city? Are people... Um, using that city to upgrade their housing. By way of example, uh, you know, a lot of people can't afford a house in Sydney anymore, so they upgrade their housing into a feeder city like Newcastle. 
So uh, momentum is a driver of capital growth. It is more of a short-term driver, while pie economics is more of a long-term driver. It's more of a stability driver. It keeps a market stable. It keeps a market going. Um, when uh, you look at the momentum drivers, it's really driven off the back of basically the here and now. For example, uh, a city can easily become oversupplied of property. Uh a city can have rents dropping. Uh, demographics can change in a city. So it's really about your return on investment over the short term when it comes to understanding the momentum drivers of supply and demand, demographics and yields. So in other words, we're going to choose a top 10 city. We're going to choose one with really good fundamentals where there's a favoritism to making money demand over supply, good demographics, and rising rents. And so knowing that, uh, we're starting to drill down the funnel of this urban ecosphere to eventually find a place we want to put our money, a place being a location. So then inside of a big city, we've got local government areas. Local government uh, areas are basically small little neighborhoods, small little cities, if you like. They could be a cluster of 10 or 15 suburbs all put together. Sometimes they're called the, you know, city of uh, Waterloo, the city of Ride. Um, effectively, it's 10 suburbs put together in a local government area. Typically, uh, a local government area or which is a municipality or a shire here in Australia. And so we want to drill down into that local government area and we want to see if it's very livable and there are localised jobs. Effectively, we also want to consider that there is a level of affordability for us as an investor to get into that local government area. So we called that ale. Yes, we've had a pie already. We've done some drivers of momentum and now we're having an ale. Affordability, livability and employability. This is really connected to the concept of the 20-minute neighbourhood. How does a 20-minute neighbourhood work? Well, effectively, what you want to see in a local government area is within 20 minutes of where uh, that local government area is within 20 minutes of, of its suburb catchment. Is there jobs occurring? Uh, and is there a high level of livability? Can people move around within 20 minutes in that local government area and uh, get a good lifestyle result off the back of it? Or is there really just one place to go uh, for... Uh, shops? Is there a lack of uh, good retail? Is there a lack of healthy activities in that local government precinct? And again, it's about going, okay, well, in that 20-minute uh, local government area, there's a lot of livability, a lot of employability, and me as an investor, there's opportunity and affordability. Now, I live in the local government area of Manly in Sydney. 
Now, Manly obviously is a good example of a precinct with good livability and good employability. It does now have a lack of affordability. But uh, if you bought here when I bought here 15 years ago, and I bought two properties over in the local government area of Manly 15 years ago, um, it was full of ale. It was affordable, it was livable, and it has a lot of localized employment. And so there is obviously a relationship of multiplying activity off the back of that, and we call that the multiplier effect. Now, the multiplier effect is a very important effect in real estate because effectively, if there's local jobs in a local government area, there is money being spent inside that local government area. When there's money being spent inside that local government area, obviously that creates a multiplier effect of more jobs being created, better retail, better look and feel of the neighborhood. And all of a sudden you get this uh, effect that basically things improve. It's almost part of the gentrification cycle. So we've started at Macro City, Pi. We've gone to Momentum City, which is those three drivers, supply and demand, demographics and yields. We then go to Ale, which is the idea of a local government area. Is it affordable for us as a property investor? Uh, that's a tick. Is it full of livability and employability? Now, the local government area, Manly, is a good example because obviously a lot of people may know or have heard of Manly just as tourists coming to Sydney on and going on the uh, on the Manly ferry. You see that Manly is a very livable place. There's lots of blue space, green space. There's beautiful walks. There's nice shops. Uh, there's a local economy. Uh, it's very much connected to all sorts of jobs. There's local manufacturing, there's local surfboard makers, there's uh, a huge retail complex called Warringah Mall. There's a lot of tourism jobs off the back of people coming to Manly to have a day out. Uh, employability is very, very strong at a localized level. This is very important because money gets spent in the local government area. As opposed to a place which is affordable, not necessarily that livable, and there really isn't any jobs. So people wake up every day, get in their car and leave the local government area and spend their money in a neighboring local government area. And so there is a multiplier effect of jobs in a local government neighborhood. And there is a basically leakage effect of money leaving a local government area and going somewhere else. Obviously, because Manly is very livable uh, and beautiful, it attracts money from outside the area. So money comes in every day on the ferry, if you like, and is spent in the local community. This ultimately makes the local neighborhood more money and has a direct correlation on properties improving in value. So we know uh, we are going through this ecosphere. This is a model 
and a nice easy model to understand. Obviously, a little bit easier if it's visual, but uh, hey, podcasts, they're not a visual thing, are they? So we've gone through Macro City, we've gone through Momentum City, we've gone through Ale, uh, Pie and Drivers. Then we get down to what is known as local community assets, seven frameworks of a community. Now, assets are an important thing. Assets, obviously, are a way to consider wealth and how good an area is. There are seven frameworks inside of choosing a local government area to consider. And even inside a local government area, this could be a little bit more connected to uh, even certain suburbs being better than other suburbs out of, say, the 10 suburbs in the local government area. Maybe some have a better local community asset base than the alternative suburbs. And again, sometimes it's going, okay, well, from a ripple effect perspective, uh, that suburb's very expensive and it's got some great community assets and I'm just next door and I can use those community assets and pay half the price. This is drilling down into finding these magical locations. So there are seven community frameworks. Framework is just really another way of saying there are seven ways to consider a local government area's assets. The first is the built community. What is built in the area or what is going to be built in the area? Are there good shops? Is there good built retail? Is there good built infrastructure? Is there good built uh, public transport? Is there good built uh, schools? These are all the ways to go, okay, well, the built environment is fantastic. I think I should absolutely give that a bit of a tick. Or the built environment's not fantastic. The built environment could be falling down. The built environment could be sabotaged, full of graffiti. The built environment could be noisy. The built environment could be uh, derelict. The built environment could be dangerous. There could be uh, lots of building hazards in an area. So the built environment is an asset or it's a detractor that will create leakage. Obviously, some areas have a less impressive built environment, but are ultimately going to improve that built environment through gentrification. And this is kind of like where you start to go, well, common sense tells me that that area is by virtue of proximity too strong to have a built environment so poorly run. Eventually you see an improvement. The next environment is, or the next community asset, if you like, is the financial community. And again, the financial community is both the uh, local wealth but also the localized employment situation. 
Is the financial community thriving when it comes to its retail? Generally, you can tell the health of a suburb by virtue of its retail. Now, uh, across the way from me, it's a lovely suburb called Mossman, Sydney. You drive down uh, the main thoroughfare of Mossman, Sydney. I think it's uh, Spit Road, uh, as if you're going to Taronga Zoo. Um, and the shops are just beautiful. Uh, lots of luxury, kind of cheeky boutiques and, you know, lots of ladies wear. Um, it's a very, very good-looking strip of shops. It tells me the health of those that live in Mossman have a lot of financial nous. Of course, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to understand that, geez, a house in Mossman these days is like 15 million bucks. So there's a lot of finance in that community. Alternatively, you can go to some uh, communities and, of course, their retail is, you know, basically closed shops or boarded up shops or shops with graffiti on the windows and, or, you know, you, you, you sort of got the one, um, you know, fish and chip shop that dubs does the, you know, uh, bloody, you know, strange food poisoning kind of vibe, uh, you know, lunch. And um, it's just a reflection of the financial community. So I always say, look, retail is kind of a, a mirror of the neighborhood and, um, you know, you can get thriving, gentrifying uh, financial communities or you can get gentrified financial communities. And um, again, it has a reflection on the local government area. So you can look for, obviously, improvement. And uh, again, like it's, are the right brands being attracted to the local government area, uh, influencing the financial framework of the local government area? You know, sometimes we refer to it as the Messina ice cream effect. Messina, obviously a beautiful brand um, of ice cream. I've never actually tried it, but uh, people speak very highly of uh, Messina ice cream. If you go and see a Messina ice cream shop, there's people sort of lined up down the street to have this uh, flavorsome ice cream. It's trendy, it's brand, it's going to get on Instagram. People are going to take a photo of the ice cream and post it. Um, and so the fact that that brand has come to a certain local government area says to me the financial community is very strong. It's money being made in the neighborhood. The next uh, community asset is the political community. And uh, again, uh, the political community is really how the local government council looks after the local area. Uh, is it tight on supply controls? Does it look after the parks? Does it have a good quality budget to make sure the neighbourhood thrives? Are the local potholes looked after in time? Uh, is the local government area actually overrun with so many problems it just can't keep up from a budgetary point of view with the need to repair so many problems? I.e. there's graffiti everywhere and by the time council deals with the graffiti, uh, more graffiti is created and it just becomes this spiral effect of 
basically a broken neighborhood. And so the political framework is important to, to real estate. It, it quite often today, obviously there are NIMBYs and YIMBYs and there's a bit of a push pull effect of how much product is being produced in certain local government areas and are, is everyone basically taking their line share of a growing Australia? Um, you know, certain areas can be very re- restrictive on the amount of product that gets produced in their local government area. And of course, state government is very much onto that in trying to sort of push to to improve the ability for neighborhoods to have more more stock eventually. Australia's doubling its population base, so it's only, you know, makes common sense to go, well, we can put more properties in certain places that are very livable, then, uh, you know, the the efficiency of that is much more uh, affordable for, for all of us than inventing new places where people should live because then you've got to connect hospitals and roads and airports and, you know, the whole thing becomes a problem. So, but... At a local government area, just to simplify it, you know, without getting into, I guess, town planning, what we're actually referring to here is does the local council have a good budget and is it spent well or is it blown? Is it rorted? Where does the money go? Do you see the tangible results of the money? Now, again, I, in some respects, think Northern Beaches Council um, – you know, the local government area, Manly, maybe they've got too much money. I don't know. They're always fixing things. They're always planning things. Uh, the I've seen grass in parks changed yearly when there's nothing wrong with the grass. Uh, so I don't, uh, you know, know if, if, if there's actually a point where you just got too much. Um, the local government area, Manly, has free buses. You, you, you literally can stand on a corner and get a bus uh, that flows up to the local shops and it's it's basically like a little van, like you're in Vanuatu or something. So again, like it's great, but it's, it's all driven off the local council being very strong, makes money, sells great parking every day in the Northern beaches. You know, they're making a, a bomb off the parking meters and, um, They've got uh, obviously good ratepayers in the local government area. It's it's working. It's working. And so uh, again, these are some of the, the the ways to drill down. Remember, we started with pie, the drivers, ale, and we're at the frameworks. So then the social uh, community isn't an asset. Like socially, do, do, uh, is there things to do? Is there places to go, restaurants to eat at? Is there local clubs to, to use? Is there a social uh, environment? Is it antisocial or is it social? It's probably an easy way to explain it. Antisocial or social and so, you know, you go, okay, well, it's a very social place. People connect together. There's gathering places. There's things like sports clubs. There's things like um, uh, uh, social events. And so, 
antisocial or social or somewhere in the middle. And again, sometimes somewhere in the middle is not a bad place to be because it, the social connectivity of the community as an asset is improving and we call that gentrification. Then obviously you've got human beings, the human asset, are people uh, in the area professionals, white-collar professionals, blue-collar professionals? Are they a mixture? Um, and are they making money? Are they high-income earners, moderate-income earners, low-income earners? Is an area full of basically tenants because, um, you know, it's basically a tenant-led suburb. Is it an owner-led suburb? What are the humans doing in that demographic space? And so a very important community asset. And then, of course, you've got cultural assets. Cultural assets are uh, equally very, very important. What uh, happens culturally? Are there art markets? Are there, uh, is the culture driven off the back of sport or surfing or uh, the beach or a certain lifestyle? What is the culture like? What are the school's culture like? What are the uh, meetup culture like? And so, again, culturally, it's, uh, it's a big driver as to why a location does very, very well over time, improves in value. And, of course, the final community asset is the natural assets the community has on offer. Does it have beaches? Does it have green space? Does it have parks? Does it have walking tracks? Does it have uh, natural amenities which make the suburb lovely to live in? This is a very important puzzle to the livability of a place. What is the natural beauty of a place like? Um, and I think we can all comprehend what that is, is an area full of natural amenities or does it struggle and have do people then leave the suburb and spend money and multiply another suburbs local government area because they have the beauty and so again it's all about where does the money go suburbs local government areas, they're just micro communities. And this is why we start with the macro. We know there's two global cities in Australia, Sydney, Melbourne, two world cities, Brisbane and Perth. Uh, we know there are some uh, primate cities like Canberra and Adelaide, which are basically capitals of their region. We know there's some really powerful feeder cities, your Newcastle, Geelongs, your Gold Coast and so forth. These are all great places to invest. Then we know that we just need to have a look at the short-term metrics, things like supply and demand demographics and yields. Then we go to our local government area and go, okay, well, inside of Sydney, that local government area is affordable for us. Uh, there's affordable options. It's livable and there's a lot of localized employment. Then we go, okay, well, let's take a closer look and consider the local community assets using the seven community frameworks. And then, of course, uh, we can start to characterize the archetypes of the suburbs in the local government area and drill down to the place we want to invest in. And generally, there are seven 
suburban archetypes. And they can appear in all local government areas um, and they can all have a different price range. The first one is those heritage suburbs. And again, like they were just usually the first of the local government area um, and they might have a heritage style home in them. They might have turn of the century terraces or they may have a heritage option on offer. The next is the character homes. Character homes are generally those homes where they're in, you know, really beautiful suburban areas. They've got nice wide leafy streets. Um, the homes in those suburbs have a lot of character. They're charming. They look nice. Um, and the I guess the challenge for property investors for the suburbs with the heritage and character uh, homes, they, they tend to be in the millions these days in most bigger places. But I do think where investors sit into the suburban archetype profile is the aspirational suburbs where you can buy real estate and the established functional suburbs where you can buy real estate and the future suburbs or future suburbia. So effectively, uh, when you kind of analyze a, an, an area or a local government area, you might go, okay, well, um, you know, the suburb or the local government area has got, you know, 20 suburbs too, a kind of heritage and character, can't afford them. Well, can I afford, uh, I can afford the aspirational, I can afford the functional, and I can afford really the renewal neighborhood or the future neighborhood, which is where politically the uh, area is being improved and gentrified. So you might have the gentrifying suburb in a local government area, the functional suburb in a local government area, which is just good meat and potatoes real estate, and or you might have what is sometimes referred to as the aspirational suburb of an area. Obviously, the aspirational suburb is kind of, again, probably at a higher price point than the functional and or the one being renewed. It's no right or wrong. It's just a difference in where they are in their life cycle as a suburb. But those three tend to be really, really, really good places to park money as a property investor. The renewal future suburbia, that's being driven off change and money coming into the neighborhood. Functional suburbia is generally where that sort of solid middle class is planning themselves for the future. And that aspirational suburbia is where people are paying a little bit more to be aspirational with their investment, with their home. And so again, in in a local government area or even in a city, you've got those profiles. And of course, there are two profiles I tend to avoid when it comes to the seven suburban, suburban archetypes. They are broken suburbia, basically places which are just absolutely not functioning. Um, we know there's a lot of crime there. The streets are decaying. The houses are getting older and older every year and no one's renewing them. Um, and politically, the local council just has so much trouble with the area that uh, it's just wasted money and there's no multiplier effect. The retail doesn't work. 
So broken suburbia is not the best. And of course, there is always those disadvantaged suburbs that are in every, uh, just about every local government area, maybe not so much the really alpha local government areas because they're all quite wealthy today. And those are those disadvantaged suburbs full of basically too many tenants, not enough love, inequity, inequality, people not earning enough money. They tend to be areas I don't recommend investing in because you just don't get that multiplier effect unfolding. So if we think about the urban ecosphere model, we've started with Pi. We know we're going to choose a big city. We then analyze the momentum of that city to go, okay, we can create some growth out of buying in that city. Let's choose a local government area. All right, we've chosen a local government area. Let's uh, tick those seven community frameworks to go, okay, that that's a really good local government area. I really love it. And I'm trending towards choosing a certain suburb in that local government area. And then we can characterize the suburb that we are choosing by understanding, well, is it heritage, character, aspirational, established, renewal or future renewal? Or is it really just a broken part of a local government area and disadvantaged? Um, Really, we want the top five, not the bottom two. Then we go, okay, well, now we know where we want to invest. And that actually leads us to further conversations like what type of building to buy, what type of land to buy, and we don't have time to do that today. So, folks, that's it for me. Uh, thanks for tuning into the show, and I will catch you where we discover more about real estate soon. Thanks for tuning into the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.